This is one in a series of Iowa Watch podcasts. The series is called Voices of COVID in Iowa. I'm Lyle Muller. One thing that's come through in interviews over the past year covering COVID-19 is the number of people in healthcare who say folks on the outside probably don't understand how severe the illness is. The people making this observation are those on hospital floors or people dealing with COVID themselves. And so we have a series of podcasts on this first anniversary of COVID-19 in Iowa with people who have had direct impact with the disease. And I want to start with Darcy Havel Sturdivant. A year ago, Darcy couldn't have imagined what was in store for her. The headaches, exhaustion, shortness of breath, she often is unable to focus. She has memory lapses. And that makes things rough for her work as a unit clerk at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. She already had dealt with a severe case of pneumonia back in late 2019. Then in April 2020, she was diagnosed with COVID-19. Almost a year later, we're talking about her typical day and it sounds like a struggle. Waking up, trying to get my daughter breakfast, get the dogs fed, get them taken out, start trying to maneuver throughout my day, meaning either almost fall asleep or try to remember what's going on around me. Um, My husband steps in most days and watches my daughter for a few hours. We moved in with my mom. Havel Sturdivant, her husband Gabe, and four-year-old daughter Rain live in Iowa City. Havel Sturdivant turned 34 in February. She warns that her daughter might interject into the conversation and Rain delivers at times a little bit of reality. The thing is, even though Havel Sturdivant was diagnosed with COVID-19 in April 2020, she still was dealing with the after effects coming into spring 2021. She is what's called a long hauler. Generally, about one of every 10 COVID-19 survivors is a long hauler. That's according to British researchers who reported this in August 2020 after a study there that was reported first by BMJ Publishing Group. Fatigue is their most common long-term misery. First of all, how are you feeling these days? Not not very good. Um, I'm nowhere near my baseline that I was prior to COVID. Um, I was diagnosed with partial seizures and chronic migraines after COVID, um, along with uh, post-viral fatigue syndrome and ME-CFS. So I am fatigued most days, um, random fatigue that comes on abruptly out of nowhere. Um, I can just be sitting here with my daughter playing a video game or reading a book um, or just plainly sitting, and I can just have this intense fatigue come over me. And it's almost like post-concussive fatigue in the way of, and I'm sure people that have had concussions before can relate that it's like this warm feeling that kind of comes over your, your brain and it just kind of falls over your eyes and you go into this almost in, instantaneous um, dark, dark, instantaneous deep sleep. And 
it's almost like skipping to rim all of a sudden. Um, and you can't keep your eyes open. And if you try and fight it, you get these terrible, terrible migraines. And um, it's just really strange. It's a very, very strange feeling. How long has this been going on? Since March. Of last, okay. March of 2020, and we're speaking in February of 2021. Yeah. And so that would be when you were diagnosed with COVID? I was diagnosed with COVID on April 25th. Um, I started becoming symptomatic in early March. Um, high, like really increased blood pressure, increased heart rate, cough, um, this weird sternum tickle in my chest and fatigue. All of this kind of came into play in early March along with an increased temperature. But at the time, as long as it was under 100, Point four, um, it wasn't considered a fever. And so I was continuing to go to work and, you know, go about my daily life, but I was having these episodes and there really wasn't any sense of it. Um, the prior November of 2019, I had a case of severe pneumonia um, and it just came on abruptly um, out of nowhere. So I I had a fever for like a total of about three to four months, whether it was 99.7 to 101.8. It, it was for three to four months. It just kept lingering. Um, well, I've got a question about that point in time. Were yeah. you afraid of deteriorating, including to death? Or were you thinking, now we know what it is, perhaps we can clear this up. And when this is finally done, I'll be glad when I'm feeling better. I was scared to death about death at that point. Um, I mean, after November 2019, I kept having this thought, like, why did I survive that severe pneumonia to have to now deal with COVID and have to wonder if if I'm going to survive COVID? Um, you know, it, it felt... And it felt, and it still feels like I'm biding time, truly, because right now I forget what I'm doing after 30 seconds to a minute. I can walk in a doorway and forget what is going on in my mind, what I intended on doing. It, it really is no life to lead. Um, or, you know, I don't think I have as much fear about not being able to breathe one morning because I realized that it's, that it, there's nothing going on in my chest right now that's preventing me from breathing. It's something cognitive that is impacting that. Um, and I mean, I've had so many tests run on me that I feel confident that I'm not going to not wake up tomorrow, but whether I'm going to cognitively decline to a point that I don't know what is going on around me, that's the biggest fear I have right now. If someone would have told you then that in February 2021, you still would have misery because of this, how do you think you would have handled that mentally? I would be grateful to at least be here to be with my daughter. So in that respect... Darcy Havel Sturdivant says she has worked since she was 18, and that not being able to do so now is detrimental socially and, of course, financially. She's had injections costing $1,000 and more just to curb migraines. 
Another medicine costs four to $500 a month, she says, and insurance doesn't cover all of the costs. Meanwhile, she cannot drive, and writing and reading is a difficult chore. She's been public with all of this. You have to be sharp. You have to know what you're doing, who you're calling. And between the blank stares and the fatigue um, and the memory and the processing issues, it's incredibly dangerous to think of myself having to handle those kind of responsibilities. Um, I mean, I'm even struggling at home to multitask, whether I'm trying to make a meal and my daughter's talking to me and the dogs are barking. I can't talk to her because if I try to talk while I'm doing that, I, I just lose all of it and my, my brain will shut down and I'll forget what I'm doing. Um, and I mean, my husband bought me a journal back in June when the cognitive stuff started coming into play so that I could write down what time I woke up and what time my daughter woke up and what time she had breakfast and what time the dogs ate breakfast and when they were taken out and just to keep track of my day. Um, Cause otherwise before that I was finding that she wouldn't eat you know, like for lunch at least, you know, we'd, we had a set time that we'd eat between like 1130 and 1215. It'd be like one or one thirty, and I'd start getting around to feeding the dogs and her. And, um, you know, I just, I couldn't pace myself. I couldn't pace my day. And so he got me this journal and it helped because I could keep my calendar appointments in there um, for all the doctor appointments I'd have. Um, and then there was another subgroup that was just like each line per day. And um, I could go back through my journal and circle things and highlight things and go over and write all the symptoms I was having for that day. And it was more so for myself, but it was also for my doctors so that I could kind of write out like, this is what's going on. This is new. This is getting better, if anything. And um, that's kind of what helped me get through for several months. And now I can't even write and read because I'll get so fatigued and I'll get headaches and it's awful. <laughs> but that was the intent at one point. Now, you've been interviewed by other news media, and I'm wondering if you get any kind of response from the public when you're sharing your story? I really haven't. Um, some friends and family have seen it on Facebook and um you know, liked it or that's about it. Um, I mean, I think a neighbor had contacted my mom the other day um, to say like, she was so sorry to read about what I was going through and if we needed anything to let her know. Um, but other than that, we have, there really hasn't been any other outreach. Why are you willing to tell your story? I think it's important for people to know the severity of what can happen um, if they don't take COVID seriously to themselves, their friends, their family, their children. Um, I never asked for this life. I, I really, I didn't go out and party. I didn't go to social gatherings. I did curbside pickup when this all started coming into play. Um, we kept to ourselves and the only place I went to was my job. And yeah, I mean, 
you read about people going out and acting like there's no pandemic going on. And it's very infuriating because like I said, I didn't ask for any of this. Do you have a notion of what the future is and where your plans fit in it? I pray to God that I get better. My neurologist has been excellent and she keeps telling me that I will get better, which is great to hear because so many times you see a doctor and, you know, they try to help you what they can. And, um, you know, they really, they want to do their part to help you, um, which is excellent. Um, I have no complaints about my other doctors. Um, but my neurologist, you know, every time I see her, she's always like, we're going to make you better. We're going to do this together. You're going to get better. Don't, you know, and she's, very confident. Sorry, my toddler's in the background, so I'm hoping that <laughs> you can't hear that. Um, but um, but yeah, she's she's been fantastic, and it's so it's so great to hear that from someone that you're going to get better. We're going to do this together, and um, so I do feel like I can get better. It's just baby steps. Um, the the. Um, the anti-seizure medication that I'm taking has made me feel a little better. I'm still forgetting stuff after 30 seconds and I'm still in a blur each day, but my head doesn't feel like I have terrible pressure um, from taking it. And that's more than I can ask for. So I'm, I'm really hoping that as time goes on, that my brain will repair itself. I mean, it has to. This podcast is a copyright production of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, a nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. Iowa Watch's reporting on COVID 19 in Iowa can be found at iowawatch.org. And you can find other podcasts in this series there. I'm Lyle Muller for Iowa Watch. Thank you for listening.